Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're Measuring Flicks Hello everyone, welcome to Measuring Flicks I'm Max Peterson And I'm Bert And today we are wrapping up our So today is our fourth film, but because we took two weeks off It's not actually our first month it's the second movie of this month. I don't know. We watched another movie. We're going to talk about another movie. And at some point, we'll be ahead enough that this will actually... Y'all get what you get. <laughs> well, we have some plans. Like, this week, we're going to do a Patreon movie and another main season movie before Saturday. So we, we're going to do it, try and pack in a couple episodes. Eventually, we'll be ahead enough that we can start thinking about things like, uh, you know, themes and like the structure uh, of a month yes, yes. right now we're just kind of shooting from the hip and shooting movies at you um so today we were gonna we were gonna do a, a movie <laughs> we we're gonna do another movie that was about people going crazy in small spaces but uh, i was gonna suggest safe for our last mm. movie but i think we're gonna go do that on patreon instead and uh we're gonna change tone here a little bit and talk about 2005's constantine so we were really surprised when we, because we we were talking whether we should rent or buy it. We've seen this movie together at least a dozen times, probably minimum, yeah. probably more. Um, so I just bought it rather than like keep renting it for another twenty mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. It's like we were saying, it's one of those movies like Dread or uh, Mad Max Fury Road. It's one of those movies that you could, or The Matrix, you could watch it. And the next day, if somebody was like, hey, I haven't, you know what I haven't seen in a long time? I haven't seen Dread in forever. You would just watch it again. It's like a movie you could watch. It's like um, the comfort food version of films. Yeah. This is like if I was sick and had to stay home and like was just on the couch all day, I'd put this on. Uh, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. Tomb Raider. Yes. Hellboy. Yes. Yeah, these are all movies. <laughs> There's like a certain. It's also like our wheelhouse kind of like comic book those movies? are all comic book yeah. type movies, Tomb Raider's video games, but close enough. There was some great comics I collected when I was a teen that were Tomb Raider. So the comic book that this is based off of, uh, oh, it's uh, this movie's directed by Francis Lawrence. It stars Keanu Reeves, Rachel Weisz, uh, Jimon uh, Honsu, Pruitt Taylor Vince, Shia LaBeouf. As like LaBeouf. a 12-year-old. Oh my God, he had just got his learner's permit and yet is a cab driver. <laughs> Tilda Swinton. Peter Stormare as the devil. It uh, has such a great cast. We were talking about this last Yeah, night. and it's Michelle not- Monaghan is in this movie for yeah. two seconds. Yeah. It's crazy. Like, she's credited in the IMDb, and then you yeah. keep, you kind of forget like, that she's in the credits because she doesn't show up. And then in the very end, it's a, there's a close-up of her face, and she just goes, holy, holy water? water? And then it's it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Kath- <laughs> Michelle Monaghan is in this for, for like, the bl- if you blink too long, you will miss her in this movie. And yet, it's one of... It's a great moment. Yeah. It's like a very cool cameo. Um, so, this is the... Wait, we were talking about this. The cast. The cast. Yeah, we were talking about the cast. It's not like a what you would call a star-studded cast. It's not like A-listers like, like Tom Hanks or... Retroactively, um, I would hmm? say it is. Because I would say that Tilda Swinton, Keanu Reeves, and Shia LaBeouf are huge actors now. All of them. They all have like a fairly strong rep. Um, I don't know. I they're not what I think of when I think of A listers. Really, but I would say that they are solid actors. So when you they, say they know their craft, it's not. It's just not those like 
big blockbuster names. So you, when you say A-listers, you mean actors who are not as talented as other actors, but are stunningly famous. Tom yes. Cruise, Brad Pitt, George Clooney. They're, yes. they're thoroughly fine actors, but they're shockingly famous. That's your A-list? I would I would yeah. argue that Tilda Swinton can act the pants off of most of the people that we think of. I'm a, not as saying that she can't. Right. I'm just saying like this is not exactly the cast that like it's definitely not going to you know win any awards or whatever. But solid, solid cast. I we, love seeing these actors. Me too. In films, this is something we should talk about actually. The this not winning any awards type thing because oh you know i didn't look it up did it win any awards i don't think so um and another thing was when we when i we went to go watch it last night Mm -hmm. we saw that the rotten tomatoes score is 46 46 percent which we just watched this it's like two hours six minutes long it's the perfect length because as you're going through the movie like parts of my brain were like oh i hope this doesn't end soon and it's Mm -hmm. it's long enough that it it feels like just the right length for this pacing is great yeah yeah um, so this is a, this is based on a comic book, but the comic book is not called Constantine. Right. The actual ti- full title of the comic book is John Constantine Hellblazer, often shortened to Hellblazer. Hellblazer. It's a Vertigo series that started in the early 90s, written by Jamie Delano. Still going to this day, I believe there's 23 collected trade paperback volumes. Character created by Alan Moore. In the pages of the Saga of the Swamp Thing, his genius six-volume reboot, basically, of, of the Swamp Thing character. So he popped up... John Constantine just became like a peripheral character mm-hmm. invented by Alan Moore to like get through about five issues, this little five or six issue arc of Swamp Thing. Doesn't he show up in Sandman? Yeah, yeah, he does. But he'd been, Sandman came a little later. Yeah, no, I was just like thinking of other things that he's, that character's been in. But there's another thing that Swamp Thing inspired, basically, because, uh, so Swamp Thing got picked up, uh, DC Comics went over to Britain to try and find new talent something different that would shake up the industry and one of the people that they recruited first one of these young promising writers that they snagged first as part of the they call it the british invasion or the british invasion or the brit wave of mm-hmm. comics that happened in the late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. and it's kind of how vertigo got started because all these british comic book guys were doing way more mature comics mm-hmm. than the u.s comic book people were doing so bringing their stories over a lot of there's a lot of americans who wrote for vertigo as well but like this whole new mature vertigo thing was created kind of to accommodate these more adult themes. And one of the first people that got scooped up was Alan Moore. Alan Moore did Swamp Thing. And in a couple of interviews where Neil Gaiman's talking about Sandman, and, you know, he he in f- famously, he and Dave McKean went in to talk to Karen Berger and some of the other DC head honchos. Karen Berger eventually became, like, the head editor of Vertigo, and she just ran that, that uh, like subset of dc uh i can't remember what it's called do you remember what that's called when like a uh like vertigo Wildstorm. there's like it's like like an, an off branch of a larger yeah it's like a it's like a like a child company of i don't know DC. what you'd call it an imprint that's sure. what it's called it's called an imprint so she headed up the vertigo line so dave mckean and neil gaiman famously went in dave had just graduated art school art college like months before Mm -hmm. and they went in and they pitched some stuff 
like a uh, violent case they they i think they had either done violent cases and that's what got some attention or they like pitched violent cases or signal to noise black orchid was the i f- was just thinking yeah black orchid i think black orchid was the first comic that they did for vertigo but they went in and basically they were like yeah we want to do this thing black orchid blah 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 mm-hmm. and they were like oh great well do you have anything that you could show us and they're like we left it all at home we'll get it to you tomorrow or whatever and in a, in like a week's time they had put together like a full pitch scripts. Dave had done like pages of art and mocked up covers. And um, but in in an interview, Neil Gaiman was talking about when he was offered Sandman because mm-hmm. he he said he wanted to do Sandman, but he wanted to work with the pre existing character, the Sandman from like Sandman Mystery Theater. Um, and they were they all were basically like oh you can't use this iteration of the character because he's got a reboot coming up and you can't use this other iteration of the character because so and so is writing him right now so like the head of dc told neil gaiman just like so why don't you just do use the name but make something up and when neil gaiman was like trying to figure out how sandman would be structured he was like i didn't want to He's like, I wanted to do something like what Alan Moore was doing with Saga of the Swamp thing. Mm. But he's like, but I didn't want it to be so self-contained because he said that like the early volumes of Swamp Thing were Monster of the Month. Brilliant, like mm. transcendent yeah. genre def- changing Monster of the Month. But it was still like these little capsule stories. Sure. So Saga of the Swamp Thing is like anybody who's interested in comics should read all what six volumes of Would it be Monster of, of the Week? Yeah, well, uh, well, no, it'd be Month. Monster of the Month because comics are monthly. Oh right, right yeah. Right. But um, I was thinking, oh, they come out every Wednesday, but not like not every, every title Wednesday. comes out every Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, uh, that be would be brutal. an insane. <laughs> <laughs> Artists would just die. Well, you have to do you have to do more than three pages a day to get twenty one pages in a week, and actually to give people other people time to do their shit, you'd have to do like six pages a day, which is nuts because most artists do seven pages a week, a page a day. That's like the gold standard is a page a day. But um, yeah. So we're talking. So the comic. If you're just doing one part, though. How do you mean? Like oh, like just penciling or just inking. That's why they lettering. break it down that way. And yeah, even it then, it's. It's pretty, you read a lot or hear a lot in interviews about what a grind it is. Just an utter, unbelievable grind. So I recently read, right before we watched this movie, I read the first volume of Hellblazer. Go ahead. I have a question before we continue. Has Grant Morrison ever written Hellblazer or would that be too like on the nose? No, he has. He has. Yeah, Grant Morrison has. amazing. I think he has written one or two. Neil Gaiman wrote an issue, a famous issue. Um, I can't remember what it's called. It's called. Sorry, I have to go read. <laughs> <laughs> the Neil, I have the Neil Gaiman one. It's uh, the Neil Gaiman issue is collected in a volume called Rare Cuts that you hmm. can still find. I think it's called like it's something about in in his arms or something like that. It's about a ghost who just feels lonely and wants to hug people, but when the ghost hugs people, they die. <laughs> it's a it's a very Neil Gaiman esque story, and it's I think illustrated by Dave McKean. So it's fucking phenomenal. You know what I mean? It's it's one of the better Constantine stories that I've read. But in my head, I can't divorce the comic book character from the film character. And that's one of the big things we need to talk about when we're talking mm. about the movie Constantine is yeah. this is not the John Constantine from the comics. Right. First major difference. This John Constantine is American. Right. <laughs> John Constantine in the comics is not only English, he is like the quintessential Londoner. Is he a Londoner? Yeah. yeah. 
he's got this like I don't know exactly where he grew up but like London is his city he is as English he's probably the most famous English comic book character and it's I understand why they did it but at the same time it is jarring if you're a fan of the comics and then like John Constantine pops up on screen and he's like I need to go and get some coffee and put this in my trunk and this is a windshield and you're like wait a minute hold on (laughs) hold on shouldn't you be saying like struth and sorry mate I'm skint (laughs) like shouldn't you be using like London slang right so that's one thing second John Constantine has a famous and well-established look oh yeah big part of that is blonde hair well, the character, the drawings of the character are based on Sting. Mm-hmm. That's who mm-hmm. the artists, the, the artists mm-hmm. for um, mm. Alan Moore had them originally reference Sting. And they just drew Sting as John Constantine. That and so that much. pretty much holds true through a lot of the early issues of the comic. They start to shift him away a little bit to make him a little more distinctly himself. Sure. But you can tell he's based on Sting. Mm-hmm. And he's blonde. And like the number one... It's the trench coat, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's got this like this like tan trench mm-hmm. coat that he wears all the time. It, it is the John Constantine look. He's got a cigarette in his mouth, blonde hair, and a trench coat. He's kind of Fox Moldery looking. Actually, do you remember the Halloween? Uh, I went um, one Halloween. I went out as uh, Fox Mulder. I don't remember this. Okay, one Halloween, I went out as Fox Mulder, so I put on a suit, mm-hmm. and I put on my, because it was fucking cold, because mm-hmm. we lived in Marquette at the time, it wasn't even part of the costume, but it was just the warmest jacket I had, mm-hmm. I put on a trench coat, so I put on a trench coat over a suit, and I just happened to be blonde, and at the time, I think I was walking around downtown, like, either smoking a, a cigarillo or a joint, I can't remember which it was, but a bunch of people, well, we were hanging out with the, the crew. I can't imagine that you guys were smoking a joint. In public? In public. Think about the crew that I'm talking about. A spliff, maybe. Maybe a spliff. Anyway, I was smoking, and I had the trench coat on, and I had the blonde hair kind of slicked up and back Mm -hmm. like Mulder's, and people ran over, and they were like, oh, my God, John Constantine. And I was like, yeah, sure. I guess so. You know what? I'm actually, like, basically there, so I just... (laughs) You You just just rolled with it. I just rolled with it, and and Constantine became what I was being all night long, and the only way I had... The only thing I had to do was not take the coat off. And speak with a British accent? Right. No, so anyway, like, yeah, so I walked around and, like, it's the coat. The yeah. coat and the blonde hair and the cigarette, and boom, you've got John Constantine. And I think this is pretty fucking daring of them. Keanu Reeves' hair, black. Mm-hmm. Never once puts on a trench coat. No. Like, the co- they changed his 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 uh, country of origin. They took away his trench coat. They took away his blonde hair. The only thing that I think they really I'm nailed... Not- mad about neither am i i think it really works for this movie it, they still could have stayed true to the character they could have had a blonde brit with the look mm-hmm. do it and it would have been just as good but i don't think I'm so i'm not mad about this transition i think keanu reeves was the right choice for this role because one of the th- when one of the things i think they nailed is the cigarettes mm-hmm. he he uh, I, I famous I it's all those wizard magazines I just threw away God there was an expose in one of those wizard magazines like behind the scenes as Constantine was being filmed so mm-hmm. they did wizard magazine did an interview with Keanu Reeves about Constantine and he said that during shooting he upped his cigarette and in- intake from a pack a day to five packs a day <sighs> so like Keanu Reeves is sp- dude he Jesus. is smoking cigarettes in this movie. <laughs> 
it means he's like he is constantly smoking he's not smoking just for the takes right all the time right he's yeah he's smoking always he's always is he a method actor keanu reeves i don't think so Hmm. he Um, just like gets very into certain aspects of a character yeah he he trains really hard and he prepares really hard but i remember reading um about the john wick movies that Mm -hmm. in between takes he was just he wasn't like standoffish or very wicky he was just like playing with the crew and really nice and then he'd get his game face on and i know he's the best (laughs) that's one of the weird things about this movie 2005 you watch this and damn keanu reeves is young in this movie like because we have just we just did all the john wick movies or we were watching our way through the john wick movies for season three before the pandemic shut the world down and i couldn't play with my friend carl anymore um bird watched him with us and man what like seeing him in this and having just seen him in his like 50s in john wick it's looks so fucking great in both or in which in um the uh john wick movies yeah he does look really good in the john wick movies but you i think it's interesting you pointed out in this one there's a scene where his shirt gets torn open Mm, yes and you were like damn he's like skinny boy ripped in this he's got like he's got like eight pack abs and he's really lean but it's yeah it's that skinny boy six pack thing yeah he's he's just not like you worked for it and it's kind of like bulky he's just so lean Mm -hmm. so lean and then in you were saying in john wick he's got more of that like burly man six pack going Mm -hmm. on where it's more like kind of like he's beefier yeah he's he's got like a beefy barrel he's got a thicker yeah trunk. yeah yeah like yeah. uh daniel craig and casino royale yeah. that kind of like where your abs you can are. tell he did a lot of work <laughs> you know in that for wick yeah yeah so so those are all like fairly large changes that were made to the constantine character i'm usually a purist but hey, this I works i'm it. with you like yeah. I, I remember the first time i saw this movie in 2005 I saw this in the theaters, I believe. I was 15. And I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't like that they had changed so much about John Constantine. But then I went... You felt the same way about V for Vendetta. Yeah, but I actually still... Having just reread the comics, Mm -hmm. because we watched the movie and then I reread V for Vendetta like the next week, Mm -hmm. that movie does not even remotely hold a candle to how good the comic is i like the movie fine you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's it's entertaining it's got some stuff i don't like i like the update how they made it relevant and i think it gets across a lot it updates alan moore's message and gets it to a modern audience in a way that they can more readily identify with but it is not even in this it's not close it's not even close to the comic if you were to like, all right, let's shoot these things. If we did it Food Wars style, you know, five judges. <laughs> if you put the movie and the comic in front of five people who have half a brain in their head, mm-hmm. I think that movie goes directly in the shitter. And I like that movie. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just mm-hmm. saying like when you open that cover of it's the comic just a book. spectacle. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Like it's, it's as weighty as a two hour long Hollywood action movie can be. And a comic is a whole other beast. Yeah. Man, you can you can really achieve some subtle stuff in comics that you just can't do in a movie where you're... Except I think they did it in... In Constantine. Constantine. Yeah, this... They th- packed it in in this I don't, movie. I don't understand the 46% or the... I don't either. This I, is a well-crafted film. Yeah, this was one of the things that you and I kept talking about all the way through. 
The cinematography is so gorgeous. This guy, the people who are doing the cinematography in this, they know how to fill a frame, how to use depth. The color grade is incredible. The, the use of focus, the use of um, like foreground and background elements is brilliant. You pointed out the editing. I love the editing. This is it totally. The cuts are just, they're sexy. Yeah. <laughs> this, and, and this is not just, it's not just the like, the like, sh- the, the way that a frame is composed. Mm-hmm. There's moving camera work in here that's brilliant. There's whip pans and there's a rotate. There's one shot that's a rotating camera where action happens off camera as the camera is rotating and it, the camera comes to rest on that action concluding. It's it's like a masterpiece of pacing. The editing is the cuts are so sharp and perfectly placed. But it's not too art housey it doesn't slide that way too Mm, much it still keeps like some actiony stuff yeah yeah cinematography wise for i think that this is the perfect cinematography and the perfect editing for exactly this movie and another thing that we kept bringing up again and again when you listen to the dialogue oh dude this movie is really well written too it is the script is killer it's crisp there's about there's i would say there are Three instances where this movie doesn't hold up simply because it is from 2005. We were talking about this. This is a really good use of CG because they use darkness to hide a lot of like the the rough edges of 2005 CG Mm -hmm. or they cut on it quick. So you can't really like sit and stare at something. There's like two moments in this movie where the CG looks a little janky. And it's like one of them is like Balthazar's eye. You know, when it's sitting on the table and it blows away. Oh, yeah, that was just weird. Yeah, that looks that looks a little funky. And then like the some of the some of the stuff in hell, like when we first meet Maman and he's walking down, Mm -hmm. Maman looks a little bit like a video game bad guy. Yeah. But I would say on the whole the hands in the chest is like the most egregious to me. The hands. Oh, when Uh, Lucifer's Lucifer's hands in um, Constantine. I thought that looked okay. I didn't have much of a problem with that. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think that the CG, for, for being a 2005 flick, the CG is used well. It's used perfectly. So often the monsters are hidden in shadow or they're mm-hmm. on the other side of glass. Yeah. You know, like, I think this is a director who, rather than, we talked about it a little bit with, like, uh, on our last episode when we were talking about The Shining, mm-hmm. rather than just resting on the crutch of, oh, I can do this, let's make it look like a shitty video game and it'll be cheap and we'll be done. He knew the limitations of CG mm-hmm. and just actually Jurassic Park is a perfect example because they did use some CG in, gra- in Jurassic Park. The original? Yeah. Huh. The uh, the uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex in the rear view mirror must uh-huh. go faster. Must go faster. That scene, that T-Rex in the rear view mirror uh-huh. is CG, but mm-hmm. they put it in the mirror on purpose because the mirror is shaking and you can blur the CG mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. So like... Yeah, I think you really do have to be extremely picky about where you use it and how you use it. I think that Francis Lawrence uses CG in this as a tool rather than a Band-Aid. Yeah. And it works. Mm-hmm. He makes it work for him. He really does. And I, it would have been... I couldn't believe how good this movie looked. Watching for the show. Yeah. It's unbelievable. If this movie wasn't about... If it wasn't a Vertigo movie about like a, a comic book exorcist... If you if you serious quote unquote serious this up a little bit, 
this would be a movie that people would be talking about. I don't know. I don't know what people's issue with this is. It's so good. It really is like an objectively. It's a rock solid movie, man. It really is. Um, okay, so like the first the first note that I have is about the. I called it the modern ruins. And it's when uh, it's when our character, our our uh, that Mexican day laborer guy, is digging. They're they're like picking up cans mm-hmm. under an overpass. Yeah, but it's like an un- incomplete overpass. Mm-hmm. And the way that that is framed or shot, it's like these big concrete um, foundation girder things for a, a road that never came through. And the way that it's framed, it looks like Mayan ruins or like a sure. temple or something. And it's just like a blown out chunk of like unfinished construction. That's your opening shot. That's mm-hmm. like what what thought, you know? It's incredible. And then this movie this movie takes us like right into there's there's something special in my heart about any movie. That uh, it reminds me of Indiana Jones immediately. Any movie that yes. that when yep. he, he like steps through those boards and he reaches down into the hole and he pulls mm-hmm. out something wrapped in a Nazi flag. Yeah, it's just like the it is so pulp mm-hmm. and it is so comic booky and even better. One, this ties in to Hellboy and into actual world history. Because the Nazis, in real life, the Nazis mm-hmm. were actually trying to get the Spear of Longinus for exactly this reason. Because it's meant to make... Well, not not the exact reason of the movie, which is to bring back the son of the devil, Mammon. Which is actually incorrect because Mammon is not the son of the devil. We'll get all into we'll get that. Into it. But, uh, but the Nazis... You, you, this is one thing that you talked about as we were watching the movie. Mm-hmm. This movie packs in a lot of very accurate occult detail into the margins mm-hmm. and it makes the world more believable especially if you're an occult practitioner or someone who's practiced magic like you and I have and they do. definitely did their research yeah, yeah. They, they get so many details right that if you study the occult the movie just rings true all the way it, it has, has a real a richness yeah, yeah it yeah. has that richness we were talking about this while we were watching it that same sort of richness and attention to detail that the shining had right 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 there's same thing happening there's so much going on in the in the background and then the way things are structured and in the small minutiae that seems unimportant but Mm -hmm. to those in the know it it works on on you regardless on a subconscious level but to those in the know who can spot it it adds an extra layer for you to enjoy in this movie Mm -hmm. um and one of i mean the nazis are famously were famously into the occult there's the thule society there's Mm -hmm. expeditions to the arctic they believed uh, near the end of the war, Hitler believed that we were inside the hollow earth and that, you know, if he could. If he sent his men to the correct spot on the earth that they could look up into the sky and see England. Yeah, he thought that <laughs> he thought that if he could shoot a sh- he would get on the right side of the, the right spot on the planet and then fire a shell straight up and it would hit England. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, he had some stupid, <laughs> stupid fucking ideas. Uh, and, you know, like there's a, you go into Vril energy and all the weird shit that the occult Nazis believed, but the Nazis are very strongly tied to the occult and in particular to this thing, the Spear of Longinus. If you've seen, or the Spear of Destiny, I guess, if you've seen Hellboy, remember when they walk, their Hellboy is walking or, um, is this one or two? The first one. It's when they're, when they're about to introduce Agent Myers to 
He's, oh, right. It's in the glass yeah, case, and he goes, right? This spear, it's the spear of Longinus and blah, blah, blah. And we recovered it after the death of Hitler in 49. And he goes, Myers goes, 45. Excuse me? Hitler died in 45. Did he now? It's a great <laughs> moment. But like, part of that. There's another movie that doesn't get enough credit. Hellboy? <laughs> fucking no kidding, dude. Hellboy's great. Maybe we should do Hellboy next. Oh my God. Double high five for Hellboy. That's another one of my like comfort food yeah of films. this of yeah. this ilk so uh i just i love that and then you know um there's that great come on like w- my one complaint about this and i don't i think this is a voodoo thing and not a this movie thing mm-hmm. the sound design was kind of weird the dialogue was all way yeah, low in the was, mix mm-hmm. and i've i've seen this on dvd and blu-ray and i've never had this problem before so i think voodoo's sound mix on this is a little bit off but Again, I think that's Maybe a, just one of the faults of streaming. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's a voodoo, a voodoo problem, and not a this movie problem. But like the whispers when he picks, when he like sees the spear, yeah. and you get the. No, I I mean when he opens the Nazi flag and sees the spear, and you get mm-hmm. all the like in the background, and his he starts like looking around and getting real paranoid. It's it weird. And then a couple times this movie hits us with. Now. Go with me on this because you know mm-hmm. about chaos magic mm-hmm. and Robert Anton Wilson and his ideas. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them jump scares. I would call them. There are moments that read like would read like a jump scare, but are actually something more like a synchronicity mm-hmm. or like a not not as it's not a synchronicity, but it's one of those magical moments of surprise that mm-hmm. happens. I'm thinking particularly of the truck that drives behind him. But I think him, this guy getting hit by the car is another one of those moments. Was God trying to stop the spear from going anywhere? I don't think. I don't think necessarily that that's it. I just mean that the quote unquote jump scares have a slightly different flavor that feels magical to me, mm-hmm. rather than meant to scare us. Like the moment that John Constantine says, like. The, in that one sentence, he's he's in the like on that dark abandoned street talking to Angela, and mm-hmm. as soon as he hits the word hell, a huge truck just boop, blurs behind him, and it it doesn't quite startle you. It just like it does it so, does something else. This kind of makes you feel unsettled in your stomach. That kind of like skin crawly feeling. Yeah, it's uh, when you get. I'm sure you've been there. I was. I've definitely been here a couple times in my life. But when you're like deep into magic there are definitely things you see that strike you because you're Mm. so immersed in like you know weeks of ritual and like daily gnostic meditations and you're just in that headspace and every once in a while you'll see something in like a convergence oh like the god that i saw in the swamp that scares the shit out of me perfectly (laughs) so like there'll be like a moment of like oh shit or like shock right and it it jolts your system, but it's not a jump scare. It's distinctly mm-hmm. magical. I think that Francis Lawrence is catching that flavor. He gets it. I think he does. Because, you know, like, this is really distinctly researched, you know. I can't believe how they changed the details, but they nailed the tone yeah. of of Hellblazer. They mm-hmm. got it, man. Like, people are, and I was one of those the first time I saw this. People bitch about the trench coat, but, dude, they got the tone correct. Another thing about the cinematography that I started pointing out, this is shot, you know how everyone says Sin City looks like a comic book? Yeah. Because it is oftentimes, mm-hmm. you know, they'll like, they'll crush the, they'll crush the, the, um. They really went 
for that feel. In this. In Sin City. Sin City, yeah. yeah. It looks like you're watching a they comic book. They were just book. trying they to. They even have panels. They right. have caption boxes like in the film. I would argue that this is my favorite example of a film that is homaging the look of a comic book without becoming enslaved to that motif. John Constantine's without being gimmicky. Yeah, it's not yeah. gimmicky. His it's and they do it with things like set design and framing. Mm-hmm. Like how many times do they frame a shot with John in profile? Which is a weird angle. You don't see true profile in film very often, but you see it in comics all the time. And I pointed out... It's easy to draw. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it is. You know, like when you got to do a page a fucking day, sometimes you do a whole page of profile. No, it's not critical at all. But like, this is... I think this is genius because one the first thing I noticed the comic book look was the aspect ratio is crushed even further than normal. This is pretty widescreen, mm-hmm. which is which gives you a, a panel that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. You become aware of the widescreen and it really creates a, a horizontal panel. But they open, I don't know if you've noticed, but they open the aspect ratio up a little bit when they go into Constantine's apartment. And I think that his set, the set design of his apartment is Mm -hmm. meant to mimic a vertical panel because it consists of one very long room often Mm -hmm. shot straight down. Sure. So it looks like. I can see it in my head. Yeah. yeah, But the, Mm -hmm. but the, you see what I'm saying? If you were looking at it on a page, this would be one of the tall vertical panels in the lower third. And they did it just by how his gorgeous apartment, perfect apartment best apartment quillen filmy 2021 <laughs> but like i mean okay this apartment versus the apartment in phantom of the opera it's constantine's apartment all phantom day long the right? opera. yeah the original phantom of the opera that we want or the 54 phantom oh, of the opera that, that we doesn't watched? even rank for me i thought you were gonna say the apartment in shape of water yes okay shape of water or constantine on three Fuck. on three take a second think about it Okay, and you've had enough time. Here we go. On three, we're going to say it. Three, two, one. Constantine. Okay, well, fine. (laughs) We can visit on weekends. You know, I'll have you over. (laughs) Um, Maybe I'll let you in my bathtub. You know know what? Comic book movies tend to have very fucking cool apartments because I was just thinking The Punisher, 2004, Tom Jane. Yes. Dude, his apartment is amazing. Even her apartment's amazing. Anyway, we're not talking about apartments, but John Constantine's apartment is fucking great. Um, so let's talk about thoughtful cinematography. The first time that we see, I love this. I love this. Our first interaction with John Constantine, the first time we see John Constantine, mm-hmm. it is a true. Now, a lot of people say worm's eye view to mean low angle. Worm's eye view means camera at ground level looking straight up like bird's eye view is in the sky looking straight down right that's a specific screenwriting term or a shooting shooting trip term Mm -hmm. we get a worm's eye view of a cab a cab pulls up to a curb and we are true worm's eye view looking up at the the uh, back door of this cab and a hand comes out holding a cigarette butt and it drops the cigarette butt directly in our face our first interaction, the first time we see mm-hmm. John Constantine, he's dropping a butt in our face. That is so... It's like him to a T. That yeah. is John Constantine. He would flick butts at people for sure. He does. He in the, in the comics I was just reading, he sprays a neo-Nazi in the face with spray paint casually on his way to go get Indian food. 
but he's John fucking Constantine. So all the other people are like, you got to leave him alone, dude. You can't retaliate. So like he'll sick something on you. Yeah, he'll fuck you up, man. But like this, that is such these people. This is not just a Hollywood cash grab of an intellectual property. They didn't just buy the rights and like, let's slap it off. It was a, very lovingly done. Yeah, these everyone involved knows this character and knows these comics and they care about it and they they love it. You know that um, Keanu Reeves read like all of the oh, available for Hellblazer. Sure, because he he gets he does that. He he's. He's playing the American version of John mm-hmm. Constantine, but he understands this guy. Yeah. He gets him right. It's just we're just missing the accent and his swear words aren't bastard, you know? <laughs> you know, she doesn't ever say cheeky. That's the cheeky. only difference. But like these people. The con- I can't imagine Constantine saying cheeky. Does he say cheeky in the comics? Sometimes. He says oh all sorts God. of stuff. His big one that I love is struth, which I don't even know what it means. It's just like an exclamation. Struth. Hmm. We should, ta- should probably talk to David Rowney. <laughs> yeah. And be like, David Rowney, run us through all of the like vaguely disparaging scouse you know. <laughs> so um Yeah, so our our very first interaction is he drops a fucking cigarette in our face, gets out of the car. And the next shot is us like true bird's above eye him. View. Yeah, kind of like a I have this view when I dream sometimes yeah. where I'm watching myself from this view or mm-hmm. like maybe like an an- guardian angel kind of when vibe. I'm, when I'm deep in Gnostic meditation, mm-hmm. I see I can sometimes see my own body from this angle straight down at the top of your head. But I only do that as a visualization exercise because it's recommended. You try and try and see yourself from outside your body while you're meditating. It's pretty trippy sometimes. Um, but I, this is another thing where I think that they are aware of the source material being a comic book. It's very, yes, very much a panel. Yeah, yeah, because it's 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 this bird's eye view, which you almost never see in film. It's a very extreme angle, but it creates, and they're shooting with a really, a really long lens down an alley. Oh, in that big shot, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so the alley walls hem in our frame and create a panel. It's totally, yeah. It's gorgeous. It's a totally gorgeous shot. And then John walks into this... There's a little girl that got um, so the the first thing we see him do is he got, goes and does an exorcism. There's a I, I think we were saying that it's probably a Korean family. Asian. H- hard to say. Yeah. But I I was thinking that they were that they looked either Korean or Japanese. And I, I get like, I don't know, maybe Filipino or I don't know. I think it's, a, it's I think it's an, an intentional choice. And that's why I think they're Korean. So when they go or when this girl gets possessed and she's possessed by a demon and John is coming to do the exorcism. But the possession, there's a couple moments throughout this movie that I called mini horror movies, Mm -hmm. which is very in keeping with the episodic nature of the comic book. Yeah. Each week there would be a new horror thing. Each month. Each month, each month, like the you know for the at least the first volume, there's like a little story. Eventually, they go and start doing arcs, but to get up and running, they yeah. would do like, here's a bad thing that happened, and here's a bad thing that happened. Um, uh, f- for example, but there, I think that this movie, see, I think this is like meta genius because it's a a young Asian girl who's possessed by a demon. Mm-hmm. And the mother finds her possessed by a demon. And what we see is her mother's like bringing her like breakfast and tea, mm-hmm. opens the bedroom door a little bit, 
drops the tray and falls to the ground, which is brilliant because that allows us to get a low angle shot looking up, which makes what we see next even creepier. Mm -hmm. The little possessed Asian girl is up in the corner where the like walls snarling. Yeah, where the walls meet the ceiling. She's doing that spider arms thing. Yeah. And her long black hair is hanging in her face as she's possessed and looks like a monster. This is completely a cinematic homage to Japanese horror movies. Oh, totally, This is the yeah. grudge or the ring the or, or Juan or Ringu if you want to right. go to the original source material. But I think that Francis Lawrence and his film team are saying, like, we're going to nail this whole Constantine thing, but right here, this first chunk, this is an homage to Japanese horror films. Later on, there's this... I mean, I have notes about it, but throughout, there are there are several different types of horror movies that pop up, and they're shot that way. Um, one of my favorites is when we get to the mental hospital, and she's having the dream that she's her sister, mm-hmm. and the hospital seems abandoned, and the lights are all flickering. Mm-hmm. That's another mm-hmm. subgenre of horror, is like the weird scene that happens in the hospital, the Silent Hill. It's like the Silent Hill yeah. effect, or the uh, Resident Evil effect. Like, you wake up in a hospital, and what the fuck is going Why on? Why am I here? Or The Walking Dead does it later on in history, but like... That's cloud. Yeah, or, or in, um, um, oh shit, oh, what, what is that? Autopsy. Yes. If you guys want to see a really gnarly gore effect, watch Autopsy. Most of the time it's free on Voodoo because it's not necessarily a great movie. What would you call that genre? Medical horror? Yeah, yeah, I would call it medical horror, which, you know. Oh, uh. What American? R.I.P. Yeah, American Mary, the first Suska Sisters movie. That's a genius medical horror film. And another one that I highly recommend American Mary is super fucked up. It's all about body modification and illegal plastic surgery, and it is fucking cool as shit. <laughs> um, yeah, Autopsy is really good. But, uh, and, and I was going to say, uh, Human Centipede, I would call medical horror. And also, R.I.P. Dieter Laser. Mm. The actor who played the doctor in the original Human Centipede did pass away recently. I think it was like early last month or late last month. So you will, we, you will live on you in our, you will live on in our hearts, Dieter Laser. He's a perfect, in our nightmares. oh my God, he is the perfect crazy Nazi doctor. Oh yeah. He's so good. Oh yeah. So, uh, by the way, listener, I've been kind of kicking some ideas around with Bird and just know that Dieter Laser recently passed and Bird and I are always looking for movies to do for the show nowadays. So you might be, uh. you might, you might be in for a treat in the next couple of weeks here. Anyway, um. So I think that this fir- this was so cool to me watching this and seeing about four minutes of a Japanese horror film in the middle of Constantine. This is a guy who loves film. He loves movies and he loves the occult. You know, like this is this, this is, is another one of those movies where I want to go and I want to see what everybody worked on after this. Yeah, I would love to or watch. before. I hope. Did we find out if Francis Lawrence did other stuff after this? I didn't look anything up. Okay. Um, neither did, neither did I. But talk about another great, really great shot. Constantine walks into the room, doesn't even look at the girl strapped to the bed. He just walks straight over to the window, and he picks up this little like keychain of amulets that he has, and he starts shi- he starts holding the amulets up to the light one at a time. This is one of the coolest shots I've ever seen. I love it. It's gorgeous. And then he hits an amulet, and we. We cut to it up close, so we see it backlit by the sun, which, by the way, I think is a reference to the shot of Pazuzu in The Exorcist. Do you remember 
the beginning that everyone the, the part that everyone forgets about the exorcist the first 15 minutes when Marin is over in Iraq mm-hmm. or Afghanistan or Iraq he's in one of the countries the that Middle we went East. to war with for no reason <laughs> yeah um but there's that famous famous shot of the first time Marin sees the statue of Pazuzu he goes and looks at it and it's remember it's Pazuzu directly backlit by the sun which makes him look really dark but like haloed this is an exorcism scene with a like weird strange religious amulet completely backlit by the sun I don't think this is unintentional I think this is a loving homage to the most famous exorcism movie of all time during an exorcism scene huh because it's that interesting it's that same angle backlit by the sun and then we cut to the reverse which is the face of the little girl as the amulet comes up and the shadow of that religious is it the shadow of it or is it the negative is it where the sun shines through it creates the image I, of the amulet i thought it was the shape the shadow shape of the amulet on her skin was causing her discomfort mm-hmm. but we cut back to and we can see that this is what he was doing he was casting right. the shadow of these different religious iconographies onto her to figure out which which one was going to work right. and which tack to take with the exorcism yep. which is genius it's total I know. genius so many films just assume that the judeo christian exorcism is that the it's only catholic right. demon and we do see john do judeo-christian exorcisms later on he he tries to he says that he's going to give absolution to balthazar which is one of the funniest scenes i've ever it's so fucking good but like um i love that there are other things he can try there's other ways that this could work and he finds out that what he ends up doing is not a traditional judeo-christian exorcism he does a whole other kind of thing to get this demon out of this Mm -hmm. girl and let's talk about what he does to get this demon out of this girl oh my god dude the mirror i love it this what he does here is firmly rooted in actual occult oh, yeah. practice. For sure. This is totally this is not like if this was just pure Hollywood movie invention, this would be utterly brilliant. But because it has that extra level of verisimilitude to actual occult practice, for those who are watching who have gotten into this a little bit, it's even better and it looks great. What oh my god, the detail he straps the girl down. He says, hey, I need I need a, a mirror at least four feet high or five feet high or whatever. And everyone goes and runs around and he rigs up this this awesome pulley systems to so that they can suspend the mirror over Breaks the girl. Breaks their fucking win- their window out. Oh, yeah. He smashes it out with a chair. <laughs> but like when your little girl's possessed by the devil. Uh, yeah. What's a window? Do what you got to do. <laughs> um, but they get the mirror suspended. Chaz, move the car. Yeah. Chaz, move the car. Why? Move the damn car! Moves the car like four feet. <laughs> oh yeah, this is where we get where we meet Shia LaBeouf. Shia. Come on, and him looking in the rearview mirror. Meet baby Shia. It's Chaz. Ch- Chaz Kramer. Chaz asshole. Kramer, asshole. <laughs> it's Ch- it's Kramer. Kramer. Chaz Kramer, asshole. It's Ch- it's Ch- he's practicing. You know saying. you've totally done exactly that. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I have one of those. I have one of those last names that just never sounds cool rolling off the tongue. Peterson not it's not James Bond you know it's like monosyllables powerful I'm like it's Max Peterson s s o n not s e n asshole you know like that's me practicing at like <laughs> 13 but uh yeah that man that was so fucking cool I love I love the bit where he he covers the demon's 
or he covers the, the girl's little girl's eyes. eyes. Tells everyone around to close their eyes. D- Everybody says don't look. Her. Yeah. Which, or, dude, yeah, don't look. Come on, we got a Nazi oh, flag. Man. We got keep keep your eyes shut, Marion. We're in Indiana Jones territory here, but it's like the darker, more nicotine exorcist version of it. He covers the little girl's eyes and starts chanting in a language we don't understand. And when we the camera swings low and we see the the correct reflection we see mm-hmm. John on top of sure. you know on top of the little girl with his her eyes covered but there's a demon in the mirror against the glass banging on the glass to get out and the closest it's not until she looks no then it it's still there it's still it? yeah because he has her eyes closed because when so she, she can't see it she, yeah he's trying to stop her from seeing it just yet so that i think when she sees uh it gets locked in the mirror permanently when she sees it because he says smile i think he says smile asshole and leans out of the way and shows the demon little girl the reflect her own reflection with the demon and it's just the demon it's not her it's just the demon and she's not in it and that's when he yanks the thing out out the window but that one guy who glances down at the little girl and his hair and beard go white. I love that so it's much. It's incredible. They because they like fade to white as he like falls against the wall. It's dude. It's so good, bird. <laughs> and then tell me that that shot of him like yanking the uh, the mirror oh, out the window and so they great. they kick the mirror out into the day and there's an arm, there's a demon arm that has broken through the glass. And the mirror is spinning and there's this arm sticking up. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> it's a great shot. I thought you were talking about where he's got his feet on the bedpost and he's like pulling. Pulling, yeah. yeah. And he finally breaks it free. I love I love the low angle. He just angled the Tip mirror. It, tipped it a little. <laughs> well, it's high stakes. We're in a high stakes, high stress environment. He's been he's on been on a four day bender. But I love the low the choice to shoot it from far away because one, when you shoot it from far away, you can hide the mm-hmm. deficiencies of CG. Right. And also than being like right up on the surface and having the background spin or something. Right. Like we could have cu- we could have like gone out the window with the thing and been in the but instead we shoot from a really low angle and what you get is this beautiful small mirror flipping. And the way that it's well, flipped it's a huge mirror. It's but huge, but it looks small. in the frame it looks small and you get this beautiful huge blue expanse of sky and the size of the buildings and this there's something about how small the mirror looks as it's flipping in through space mm-hmm. that gives you a sense that one it has a long way to fall which makes the hitting the cab look better yeah oh it's just it's mm-hmm. such a well constructed mm-hmm. scene and then Constantine immediately goes to pick up the butt that he left on the dresser but it burned out so he lights another smoke <laughs> Come on, man. Oh. So we were introduced to um, Father What's-His-Face, too. Father What's-His-Face? Mm-hmm. I can't remember this actor's name. I wrote it down. I think this is... This might be Pruitt Taylor Vince. Um, yeah, Pruitt Taylor Vince is the... He's the actor who... You, you've you all seen him in stuff. His uh, he There's a special name for the disorder. I can't remember what it is, but it's where you can't stop your eyes from moving. So his eyes are always in motion. He's the... He usually They're plays... twitchy. Yeah, yeah, he plays a similar type of character. Um, it when he's talking to people, it doesn't look like he's looking at them, but he is. Mm-hmm. You know, like I did some research, and it, it really it can affect your vision, but it doesn't necessarily affect your vision that much. 
it just looks interesting you know mm-hmm. um it's like that one actress who's uh in criminal minds who has a birthmark on her sclera oh dude yeah yeah you know it's it's one of those type of things like her vision's not impaired by that Is but criminal minds i thought it was i could be wrong csi miami csi anchorage or one of those csi nebraska or she's hot though she's hot (laughs) totally um so this is yeah this is where we meet this priest guy what i just realized ll cool j and um fucking what's his name who played robin are also in that show yeah that's true hot cast (laughs) (laughs) man there was a couple times last Mm. night where i had to like snap in front of your face i know i was like bird (laughs) Bird, you're drooling on yourself, and you're just like, Keanu Reeves looks so good. Tilda Swinton is so hot. Blah, blah, blah. I was trying to talk to you, and I was like listening to like a bubbler or something. You're just all the spit. Um, so, and you know who else in this movie is smoking hot who we're about to meet? Rachel Weiss. Oh, my God. She's Dude. so hot. Rachel Weiss is a stone fox in this movie and basically every other movie she's in, but like particularly she's in the mummy movie. isn't she she is in the mummy Fuck, she's yeah dad <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. so um yeah i mm-hmm. he is a he is such an asshole constantine oh because yeah. like his first what four interactions with weiss with with angela the character's name is angela mm-hmm. like he doesn't hold an elevator for her when he goes to like the he goes to like a church to talk to he's there to talk to Tilda Swinton right Gabriel she, yeah Gabriel she's there to talk to like the Archbishop whoever he is yeah, yeah he's some he's some like he might just be a priest actually but she's there to talk to like this holy man because we find out that Angela had a twin who was in the psych ward Isabel Isabel and Isabel killed herself yes. she jumped off the roof of a building. Let's talk about the shot where she jumps off the roof of the building. Oh, great. It's unbelievable. It's Beautiful. like <laughs> when you see this shot, I would stack this. There's a famous shot in I think it's Lethal Weapon 2 that Carl and I talked about ad nauseum on that episode where a bunch of people jump out a window and we are bird's eye view over them watching mm-hmm. them fall away from us towards a swimming pool below. And it's an incredible shot. It doesn't hold a candle to this shot. Again, very like a comic book panel. Yeah. I can see this perfectly. This, yeah. this uh, kind of is reminiscent of the opening pages of Watchmen by Alan Moore when the comedian is thrown out of his apartment window mm. and we watch mm-hmm. him fall and fall and fall and fall over, over a course of panel breaks. This is amazing because we're in a room at the top of the, the, the psych ward is this really tall building and then there's a glass roofed like spa room at the base of this building it has a big like the whole ceiling is like sunroof basically and there's a cross-shaped swimming pool thing like wading pool or whatever you want to call it i guess it kind of is isn't it well it's an it's like an it's like an equilateral yeah like uh, red cross it's like yeah Yeah. it's it's that type of cross there no end is longer than the others but we are basically in that pool and, the, the, and we watch her come down in. The coolest yeah. part about it is we're underwater, but but the water is so still, so utterly still that we don't realize we're underwater. 
because when she it's dude this is an incredible shot we watch her jump above us like say 15 18 stories whatever six probably 15 stories and we watch her fall in a perfect cruciform pose she falls Mm -hmm. backwards and she's fall we watch her body fall and it gets closer and closer and closer and closer to this like glass sunroof and you expect a cut but there isn't one she hits the sunroof and you watch the glass shatter and i'm wondering because i can't i have no idea how they would do it otherwise i'm wondering if the shattering glass is a hidden edit point because you see the glass shatter and then it's like a confusion of broken glass and then you see then the, we're in the pool yeah and then you see the body hit the water yeah above us which means the whole shot was shot from underwater. I thought we see it. I thought we saw her from the side, Mm-mm. or like a three quarter. No, she falls directly on top of us because hmm. the body hits the body hits the window and it goes like white broken glass. Mm-hmm. And then you see you hear the as she hits the water and she's still in that like sure pose. It's un. I have. It's baffling to watch because you're not sure how they accomplished it. And at the same time, it's beautiful because of its pacing. They let you watch her fall the whole whole way down. You are there for the impact. I think it's silent, too. It is. Because it's, isn't it the dream? Yes. It's Angela's having the dream. And oh, Mm -hmm. man, it just, it looks so good. I I was totally (laughs) in love with it. She is trying to get, Angela's trying to get Isabel a Catholic funeral because both of the girls are particularly Isabel, but both the girls are very religious. I feel like um, Angela is not that devout. You know, like she believes and she like goes to church, but it's not like she is there. I disagree because she goes to confession. Yeah, but she says it's been two weeks since my last confession. Aren't you supposed to do it every week? Only psycho people confess every week. Okay. I'm just saying like she... And another thing we find out early on, and this is one of those like minor details that never comes back because we don't actually see Angela operate as a cop. Mm -hmm. We don't see her at work. We just see her get embroiled in John Constantine's world. But when she's at confession, she's confessing that she killed another guy. Mm -hmm. She keeps shooting people to death. She's and she says um, at, later on when she's in a trance, this explains why she is. Why I always know where to look. I always well, she says it to the. She says it to the priest too, but we, you know, and we see her when she trances out. She always knows where the bad guy is, and she always knows where to aim to kill Mm -hmm. them. And she just does it automatically. Like instinctual, yeah. Yeah, she's but she's like bizarrely good at killing perps, which is she is struggling with, and that's why she keeps going to confession. I think that's partly why she's so devout. But um, so she, oh my god. During our, we find out that Isabella committed suicide, and that's why she is struggling to figure out what happened to her sister, and that's what ultimately leads her to get embroiled with John Constantine. Because she's like, my sister would never kill her. Yeah, my sister would never kill herself. herself. So she finally watches the security footage of her sister jumping because they're like, we have cameras, we watched her. She was not pushed. Your sister Mm -hmm. jumped, and there's that scene where she's watching. She's watching her sister. And she rewinds it, and she's watching, and she rewinds it, and she puts her head down. And on this go-round, when her sister turns back to look at the security camera, mm-hmm. she says, Constantine. And then, her, you know, Angela looks back up, and the sister jumps, and she rewinds it. And then when she rewatches it, Constantine is not 
she doesn't, she doesn't say anything. She doesn't say anything. She yeah. just looks back and jumps. That's another Japanese horror movie trope. In the ring, watching them. Sure. There's that great bit where um, in the, the American remake, there's a moment where the main character is rewinding the tape and there's a fly. There's like a fly in the tape, in the video. Yeah. Because she's watching the ring video and she like skips forward like a couple frames and the fly goes forward and then she skips back and the fly goes back and then forward and then she pauses it and the fly's wings move and she reaches Mm. out and plucks the fly off the screen Mm. even though she was just making it go forward and backward. This is another horror movie trope. I'm telling you, I think this movie has a, a lot more has many more layers than people give it credit for. Yeah. That's very clever. Um, so what did you think of our introduction to Gabriel? What do you think of Tilda Swinton in this flick? Oh, fuck. I love her so much. Totally, right? She is amazing. She's a chameleon in the truest sense. Like, uh, And she takes every project she's in 100% seriously. So seriously. She's, I've never seen something with Tilda Swinton in it where she's phoning it in. This is Gabriel in a movie called Constantine that's based off a comic book, and she is as good in this as she is in Only Lovers Left Alive. Mm-hmm. Or pick a movie. I we need to talk about like Kevin. I feel like if you or... were to actually be in her presence, it would just it would be insane feeling. Like I feel like some like energy just radiates off of her. Yeah, yeah. She's she's one of the towering acting talents of our time. Definitely, she's incredible. I've I don't I've never seen a Tilda Swinton movie I didn't like, even ones that aren't necessarily amazing. There's one I just mentioned. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. It's about a basically a school shooter. I've seen part parts of, it, of that, and yeah. you hated it because of the screaming baby at the beginning. Ugh. And you would have hated the whole movie because it's basically just about a shitty kid being shitty to his shitty mom. But Tilda Swinton is great in it, and actually John C. Riley as the dad. Very oh. weird casting. He's super good in it too. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the school shooter guy the the disturbed son who kills a bunch of his classmates with a bow and arrow he is uh, he an actor that we know oh yeah he got cast in well you haven't i don't think either of us have seen the movie but he's famous now because he got cast as the flash in the justice league movie oh so like his project before this was a super dark <laughs> indie film and then he goes and becomes the flash that's why mm. the flash I always read is kind of weird to me when i was watching the trailers i'm like i don't know i've seen this kid like Put animals on sticks and kill other children. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if the Flash needs that kind of darkness in him, you know? (laughs) Um, So one of my favorite lines in this movie, and this is that thing where they nail John Constantine's dialogue. He goes and sees Tilda Swinton, or goes Mm -hmm. and sees Gabriel, Mm -hmm. and he's like trying to, he knows. Can we talk about her character design? Yeah. Well, we. His character design? Their character design? Yeah, Yeah. I think Gabriel's meant to be androgynous. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. You know, mo- I feel like most people would try to make Gabriel a man, like right. very distinctly. Like, does any any female look better in a suit than Tilda oh, Swinton? Fuck, I wish I could look that good in a suit. Uh, Kate Blanchett. What does in she the wear? The newest Ocean's Eleven movie. She wears a lot of suits, and dang, I don't think I've seen it. I haven't seen it. I've just seen like production production. It's stills. the it's the like oceans all female oceans cast, right? Yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, thirteen. Yeah. I don't fucking know what number they're on now. Maybe fourteen. 
25. Sorry, Ocean's 25. It's on, on par with no, Fast and Furious. Tilda Swinton looks damn good in a suit, though. She does. She, she looks fantastic. Wasn't she a model before she came became an actress? I have no idea. Interesting. Um, yeah, so I think she's great, but let's let's talk about her character design, because I want to talk about when <laughs> when John steps out into the rain. Mm-hmm. Um, jo- oh, John Constantine has terminal lung cancer. Oh, yeah. Way terminal, like... Half of his lungs are cancer. He's fucked. And actually, oh my that's... god, I love their conversation in this scene. Yeah, well, all of it. You're going to die. All, all of it, yeah, but particularly um, that last Gabriel's lines. Yeah, when John sits down and he's like, well, he argues with her. He's like, I've been doing exorcisms my whole life. Right. I've been saving God's children forever. So why am I going to go to hell? And we find out. That actually, this is by the way, this is another like twist on this character this mm-hmm. is this is added this is not from the original mm-hmm. comics but uh john we find out that when john was a kid he could see demons and he could they put him in a his parents put him in a mental hospital and it just made things worse Zapped and worse his brain yeah, yeah electroshock therapy and he killed himself he slit his wrists and he was dead for two minutes sure I think <laughs> i think they said he was dead for two minutes and he said because two minutes and uh two minutes in hell is an eternity so he was dead for two minutes, and then they brought resuscitated him. But I think this is kind of fascinating when he's talking to Angela about this, and he goes, "He goes, well, there's, you know, so when I die, I'm gonna go to hell." And he, she's like, "What are you talking about?" And he turns, and the line is incredible. He goes, "I'm a suicide, Angela," and it's it's something you'd never expect anyone to say in the present tense. Mm-hmm. I'm a suicide, not I tried to commit suicide or I survived a suicide attempt. He turns to Angela and says, I'm a suicide. That is a very John Constantine line. I think this is something that we have to talk about. Um, and this is part of a larger conversation, maybe. Yeah. Um, is that in Catholicism, um, is that something that you just like, you can't undo? Is that why he's saying it like that? I think that is this movie's postulation. Because... Like, it's like one of those quote-unquote mortal sins that you just can't yeah yeah suicide is redemption for suicide is a mortal sin murder is a mortal sin there there are certain sins that basically the church says like you do this you can't come back from it you can get absolution um like that's why a lot of serial killers in prison convert to christianity and repent their sins because christianity or catholicism i think it might be specifically i'm not sure um, I know that mortal sins, I should know this, I was a Catholic. I wasn't a very good Catholic. I didn't even go to confession like once every two months. But um, I think venial sins you can be forgiven for through prayer. I think I don't think mortal sins, I think you can be forgiven for mortal sins, but you have to like truly repent and accept God and change your ways and all that stuff. And you, it's a big deal, but you can do it. Like there are So def- John is just not willing to make that sacrifice he's not willing to truly repent uh well i mean gabriel has an interesting yeah i don't know because gabriel you're going to hell because of the life the life you took well she says you're gonna die young because you smoked 30 cigarettes a day since you were 11 years old or or 14 years old and you're going to hell because of the life you chose to live you're fucked that's like that's her dialogue but um, this is one of the gray areas. Or of, is she just lying to him? There are three big gray areas in Catholicism about t- sins that uh-huh. would typically send you to hell. Uh-huh. Like one of the gray areas is what happens if you have babies that die before they're baptized. Because <laughs> okay. they still have 
they still have would have quote unquote original sin. So this has led to some brilliant comic book writing, like in Sandman, for example. There's a whole like wing of hell that's just unbaptized babies. Mm-hmm. I actually did the same thing mm-hmm. in that project that I recently wrote. I put an ocean yes. of yeah. unbaptized babies. So that, but that's this is this is why purgatory got invented. Purgatory was a way to come. Catholicism is so interesting to me. Yeah, it's not. Purgatory is not even in the Bible. It was invented by the church to explain what happens. Oh yeah. And actually, uh, I because I asked my grandma about this once, and you can you can go and read like essays by high ranking Catholic clergy who are struggling with this issue right now, kind of the way like Thomas Aquinas struggled with transubstantiation and things like that. Um, What's transubstantiation? That is the belief that the wafer and the wine literally, literally become into... flesh okay. and blood. Yeah, yeah that's trans- as soon as it like passes into your into your mouth and into your system, it becomes flesh and blood. It's actually a turning point in V for Vendetta when V feeds the priest a wafer and he goes, "You believe that no matter what this is now, when I give it to you and you put it in your mouth, it will become the body of Christ." Correct? And the priest is like, "Yes, I believe that." And he gives him the wafer and it's poisoned with cyanide. So his beliefs, if they had been true, would have saved him because it would have mm-hmm. become the flesh of Christ, but instead he dies of cyanide poisoning. Right. It's one of the most brilliant moments in that. So does that make book. every good Catholic a cannibal? This is a, yeah, but this is debate. This is like a this is a long-standing debate. So there's the un un uh, unbaptized babies. The I'm s- sorry, I'm just thinking. I know. What if okay? So what if a Catholic yeah. who just ate the wafer and took the wine, right, died or something tragically, and they had to do a, an, an autopsy, and they open the stomach yeah. and there's human flesh in there and human blood are they like what the fuck well that would be interesting because it would prove transubstantiation which is nonsense right <laughs> so it's uh it's something i mean they're not going to they'd find see this is one way for this is we don't need to get into a theological or philosophical religious debate here but this is one of those things where like the catholic church often condemns they condemn occult practice and witchcraft it's like actually witchcraft is still except they are actively doing witchcraft. Yes, dude. Tran- that's what is transubstantiation <laughs> if not a magical ritual? Anyway, and the taking of communion forgives. It's a ritual. It it's is, a yes. They're okay. doing magic. Yes, it's, but it's a magic ritual. It's not important. We don't have to debate this right now. But um, so the the first one is unbaptized babies. The second mm-hmm. one is suicide. Okay. The third one is war. Soldiers who go to war and kill a whole shitload of people. Right. That's murder. Yeah. So the Catholic, but now if you want to talk about history, you have to find, the Catholic church has to find a way because it is a, it is a massive economic structure in and of itself. And it is a power akin to a state. And one of the things that a state likes to be able to do is to make war. But when your religious beliefs forbid killing, that makes war kind of tricky. What about like the crusades? Exactly. How do you justify killing? Because the Catholic Church goes, we really want all of this area that's controlled by Muslims. But we can't kill people. But we can if it's war. This is a thing. Like, even now, like, soldiers who go to Iraq and Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. they're fighting for their country. The official stance of the Catholic Church is that crime, like, killing during war is part of a soldier's duty and doesn't count like normal murder. 
isn't that fucked hmm. up? Anyway, um, so those are like those are like the big three. But I love the I love the way that Constantine. I love his frame of mind, his his frame of reference for his suicide because Gabriel has a great a great line where he goes. I believe, I believe, and she goes, no, you know there's a difference. Right, right. You don't believe. He doesn't you, need faith. He's, yeah, he doesn't need faith. He's seen it, and that's why he's damned, and that's why he's pissed, because he didn't ask to be able to see the demons. Mm-hmm. That's why he can't ask for forgiveness, because there's no act of faith required of right. him, because he knows about he knows of the objective existence of God and the devil. So he's incapable of making a leap of faith because he has knowledge. In knowing there's a God, he's damned. Isn't that fucked up? Anyway, um, but because he has that but knowledge, that's not a new thing for God to do. Give people knowledge of himself? No, for him to actively fuck over humans or right, right. other beings for the greater plan. Yeah. Which is yeah, it, there's biblical precedent. But what I like is because of his knowledge and because of his personality, Constantine approaches his suicide attempt differently because he knows so he's he calls himself a suicide rather than a survivor which is dark spawn did something similar the con the 90s spawn comics they did uh, there's a great issue that my mom found hidden in my toy box when i was like 10 it came in a blind pack and it was also super blasphemous <laughs> and when i was back when my parents were like my mom was a pretty good christian if you'd never hit it if you just put it on your bookshelf, she probably never would have you noticed. You say that, but I kept Teenagers from Mars on my bookshelf, and Dad picked it off my bookshelf and read it one day, and then he hid it on me for like a year. I know, it's weird. They, I don't know. And it, they, they tried to like shield oh, me from so some stuff, but not Teenagers from Mars. So good. Yeah, it's excellent. But um, in this Spawn episode, this Spawn is coming and talking to like this old lady er, uh, issue. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, he's, there is a car- cartoon, but he's talking to this old lady, and he's like, He's like, you think that because you've lived a good life, you're going to go to heaven? He's like, there's a war going on. They don't want good old ladies. Heaven is full of people like Jack the Ripper and Jeffrey Dahmer and Pol Pot. And he's like, the innocent. He's like, and hell is just an infinity of the screaming of the innocent. Because God's giving all the weak players to the devil. And he's amassing hardcore motherfuckers who can fight. Sure. So he's like, all of the faithful are damned, <laughs> and like all these monsters are in heaven. <laughs> so it's my mom read that, and she was like, "You can't read comics ever again." It was, I love my mom. That was not how she sounded. She was, pre- and I was ten. I was way too fucking young to be reading shit like that. So I, de- I defend her choice. Um, so basically, Gabriel tells John, "Fuck your dad, you're toast," you know. And he steps out of the church into like this pitch black night, pouring rain, puts a smoke in his mouth, lights it, takes a drag and goes, at least it's nice out. (laughs) Which is just. And even though he has the cab there with um, what? Chaz. Chaz. Yeah. There's a cab waiting with Chaz. Chaz. And he he goes walking in the rain because he's. He's dealing with mopey. He is mo- well. He just found out that he's damned and going to hell, and it's he's in trouble. He's not. He's not doing so good. And this is when he fights the big fly demon, right? Oh yeah, dude. The crab on his what? shoe 
What an hey, awesome detail, hey. though. But, like, tell me I'm wrong. They could have made it all flies. Mm-hmm. Or they could have made it, like, they locusts. They made it, like, things that break down other things. Yeah. Like, yeah, helping it, to decompose. Right. It's so it's, interesting to me. And it's not just insects. There's, like, mm-hmm. cr- that crab is such a good, like, sideways detail. It's, like, high strangeness. I think that's a real crab, too. It totally is. It it is probably the last thing you're expecting, right? Oh yeah, in the middle of like it's not New York City, it's right. Angel City, whatever that is. Yeah, it's. <laughs> oh, I think by the way that uh, is we it didn't... supposed to be L.A. I think so. I think the city of angels, yeah. and I think that's why they made him American, is because they didn't want to set it in London. They wanted to make an American movie for American audiences in a place oh, yeah. that people would be familiar with. And rather than try and explain why there's an Englishman in like New York mm-hmm. or whatever. I'm sure it was cheaper to shoot in L.A. too. Right, right. Um, yeah, so. I would totally love to see that film though. It, what? A true in version England. of yeah, uh, John Constantine in England. I would love that. I think this, you know what? You know who should write it? Write it, Fuck, bitch. I would love to write that, dude. I'd write the wheels off of that. Um, oh, who'd you cast? As John Constantine? Yeah. Hmm. I'd have to think about it. You know? You would, yeah. You'd have to really think about it. And here's a big, here's part of the problem with the Constantine. There's a huge pool of British actors. There that is. Fit, a, that fit the. Right. You'd need someone. It, they couldn't. It's weird. The performance. They can't be too posh. Can't be too posh. Can't be too rough. Right, they can't I, be cockney. The look is well. No, you want you want. Uh, I think David gave me the term. It's scouse. Uh-huh. It's a certain type of London working class. Yes. Thing, but it's not full like. Uh, it's not a uh, Mary Poppins. Hello, Hello governor. governor. It's not that. Yeah. But you'd need like somebody <laughs> rough. Jinx. I know. Okay, look, go with me on this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm. I wouldn't. Ca- I don't think this is good casting, but I think. I think performance-wise, he would nail it, but the look is just wrong. David Tennant would be a good John Constantine. Mm. Acting-wise. think of the. I know the face is totally wrong. He's got the wrong build. It's just not the right look. He has a good build, that like tall, rangy. It's his face. Yeah. It's, it's just not quite the right fit, but, but the acting style, his range, mm-hmm. his when, when, you, when he gets gruff, and he, yeah. I've heard, I've maybe I'm thinking of David Tennant because I've been listening to William Shakespeare um, right mm. now on Hoopla. You can get a shitload of free, it doesn't even cost any of your like borrows, your monthly borrows. They're letting you get them for free. Um, cool. And it's, yeah, it's fully, fully staged productions of William Shakespeare, but they're all audio. And David Tennant has been in the last two that I've listened to. I love that. Yeah, he's. I love him. He's good, man. He's really good. But I, I don't know who I would cast, mm. but. I know that the Screech Beetle. Oh my god, I love that! I love that so much. <laughs> Screech Beetle is so good. It's like fingernails on a chalkboard. Um, so he. I like, love that John when he first gets it from Neiman. Neiman, yeah. He like shakes it and he like chuckles. Yeah, just <laughs> it goes funny to you, but it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to them. Um, <clears throat> what is it with you and insects, Neiman? I just like them. The way that that guy's good. He's I really like, good in this movie. I like that character a lot. <laughs> um, okay, so really quick, homage, mad, mad homages to the first volume. It's the first volume of Hellblazer. That first arc is called Hellblazer Original Sins. And it follows this demon 
that is that consists of bugs. It's insects that form the shape of a demon. Mm-hmm. John Constantine fighting with this guy and like shaking the screech beetles and fighting this bug that makes demon. Sense. I think like it pestilence. I think it's a straight homage to that first arc. Mm-hmm. That that it's the first story is two issues long. One is sixty pages. It's like a big oversized first issue and then they wrap it up in issue two and it's all about this hunger demon that is when you when it's out in the world and not in people it's insects and it flies like locusts it's like mostly flies but it's a bunch of different bugs and they like fly up your nose and into your mouth and that's how the demon gets in you but what it what its effect is is it makes you crave it makes you starving for the thing that you're obsessed with so there's this one they, the first guy we see who's possessed by the demon in the comic is he's a, like this big fat guy who's really obsessed with food. Mm-hmm. So he goes to a restaurant, he goes to a burger stand and he eats five hamburgers and then he goes to a, a restaurant and he orders everything on the menu and he's pounded, but he can't. So he starts to eat the tablecloth to try and strangle this hungry demon. Oh, so it's like the, yes. It's what yeah, happens to the priest in this where he <laughs> is obsessed with alcohol. That's his addiction or whatever. If you want, yes. well, in the comic, I'm bringing comic book to it mm-hmm. because so like this guy, he's he's trying to eat all this food and he starves to death in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And there's a bodybuilder who gets infected by or who gets possessed by the demon and starts to eat himself because it's it's him looking in the mirror, flexing his big muscles, and this because it's you you hunger for the thing you're obsessed with, and he's self obsessed, mm-hmm. so he starts to devour himself and he eats himself to death. A priest tries to eat a crucifix, and they all starve, basically. Mm -hmm. But this priest who gets infected by this this spirit, they're not super clear about who it is. Is it Mamon? No, I I think you were right last night when we were talking about this. I think he has uh, sensitivity to the other world. Right, the uh, Pruitt-Taylor-Vince character. Yes. Yeah. and drinking is his way of quieting right, turn, all of the voices. Turns down the volume, yeah. Like other people in real life do um, use alcohol to quiet um, other mental disorders. Yeah. there's um, a gr- Like bipolar disorder or whatever, schizophrenia. Yeah, that was um, a really... Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. But there's a, there's a great shot when he has taken off his medallion and mm-hmm. he's sitting with all the newspapers. Oh, I love it. It's amazing. Yep. The way that they we get into the room is we see that the whole room that he's sitting in, I can't remember if it's, I think it's wallpapered in tinfoil, mm-hmm. but there's a little gap. There's a little hole between like chunk, like a little rip in between chunks of tinfoil and the camera comes in through that. Like we are the outside world penetrating yeah. into this inner sanctum. Dude, I, my note was uh, um, the priest roving through newspaper atrocity because he's running his hands over newspapers and his eyes are it's going. It's like divination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing like uh, like newspaper divination, just running his hand over all the newspapers he could get. And we hear the headlines in his head as his mm-hmm. eyes are rolling around. And it's all just the worst crimes you can imagine, like children hacked up and shit. And you realize that when when you see him doing this, retroactively john taking his medallion off of him becomes like it it broke the protective seal like he's no longer carrying that protection yeah. with him so now he's totally open and exposed to all of this right john stuff. john opened him up to this and you realize like what a toll this takes on this guy um and his his death when he's mm. it's 
It's really good. It's really, really good. He, we see him like try to, he gets it from Isabel. That's where he becomes possessed. He's feeling her wrist to try and like read her yeah. body, read her story, like, you know, like get vibes off of her. Mm-hmm. And then that, that like, he touches that spot on her wrist where the same s- spot where the, um, the guy who was digging in the dirt. Right. They he got it too. They all get this like it looks like a scar it's that's like a, a dark mark. Yeah, but he touches her dark mark <laughs> and then Voldemort gets in his head <laughs> and he's just like Nagini and he runs out of the <laughs> got a drink. <laughs> yeah. But uh let's talk about the the effects, the like no booze so coming out effects. Oh good. It's incredible. I love that you can see the bubbles in the bottom. The bottle goes but yeah. nothing comes out. Yeah. Well, nothing. my favorite part is when the first two bottles I think are the best because he goes yes. into the liquor store and he pulls the top off a bottle of like, it's like a bottle of wine or something, right? Like white wine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he gra- pulls a, bo- a top off a bottle of white wine and holds it open, holds it upside down over his mouth. Nothing comes out, but we see the bubbles like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes out. But when he sets the bottle down sideways. On the shelf. Yeah. Fluid, it the just pours wine out. starts Ooh. pouring out yeah. and it's all in one shot. It's an awesome effect. And I think I know how they did it. But who knows? Like, who knows? you know, I'd like, love to know. It's so good. I'm not certain <laughs> that the wine that pours out is real wine. I think it's CG. I think that the t- first two bottles are practical. I think when he starts smashing the necks off, mm. that's CG. But that CG looks great. Great. It looks so good. Nice. Um, that's a ch- that his death is a really chilling it's scene. Upsetting. Man. Yeah. The uh, the the priest. The, the priest as died. you're watching it, you're thinking the same thing that he's thinking that he's not able to drink any of this, but he is drinking it in reality. Is you think that's what it is? Yeah, because the guy says later on, he's like, he drank such and such in a minute. It yeah. was astonishing. He could have been one of my fraternity brothers. Yeah, and I was like, oh shit, that's why you see it seeping out of, out, his out of his mouth. Yeah. Is he's been hammering booze, but he's just not aware that he's doing it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, oh my God. When he realizes that he's fucked and that he's going to die. Yeah. And he reaches up off the, oh, and he grabs, hate, oh my God, bird. He grabs oh. the wine corkscrew off the counter and he looked, what a good delivery too. Cause there's so many ways he could have done this line. He could have gone John, but he goes, the he looks up and he just, it's, it's the way that he's already drooling out alcohol yeah but the line the way it's like the way you turn up your face to god and go like father give me strength but instead he turns up and looks at the sky Mm -hmm. and says john this is last word Mm -hmm. his last word is john and he starts stabbing the fucking symbol into the palm of his hand with a wine corkscrew it is gnarly i hate it so much and every time it comes down he's like ah it's it's so good though (laughs) it's a great scene and And what's his name is stalking him balthazar yeah oh my god balthazar with his like the heat of his red eyes and that i love that effect and they do it a couple times yeah it's so good so like understated my favorite here though is it's like a nest it's like a bottle of nestle bottled water and he cracks the lid and he's taking a drink from it. And that you've never seen a bottle of water that looks more perfectly chilled and cool mm, and refreshing. refreshing. Yep. 
And even though there's nothing going on with this priest that like suggests fire, there's something about him not being able to get any liquid. He's like, I'm parched, I'm parched, mm-hmm. I need a drink. And Balthazar is just drinking this cool bottle of water, watching this priest drown in alcohol as he carves a satanic symbol into his palm. It's awesome. It's so awesome. And it, it's so well shot, dude. The shot of Balthazar, perfect. The shot of the shopkeeper, who is, we find out, a half-breed yeah. angel, mm-hmm. leaning over and, like, trying to comfort the priest in his last moments. And then we turn back. And great CG wings. Yeah. Totally great. Throughout the film. Mm-hmm. All the wings. Yeah, Gabriel's yeah. wings are great. The this, this angel's wings are great. You know, I was just thinking, actually, I wonder if the eye shine is practical. Because you get that with human eyes, that whole like red eye from a flash of a camera. Yeah. I'm wondering if they found a way to like shine a light in the eye just right to like set that off. A really hyper directed. You could even use. Because we've done it with. I've seen it with Trin. Yeah. Sometimes her eyes just catch the light just you right. You could even do it using like a really tight angle off camera lighting setup where it's just on his eyes and then. I'm I'm curious if they did it practically yeah. or if they if it's CG. Like just keep warm lighting in a really thin beam like right across his. I don't know. I don't know. I bet you it's CG, but if you you could do it practically, I bet. That would be... He'd have to be... It'd be tricky. But this movie... You have to stand very still. This movie pays attention to details like that, though. Um, uh, including a very fucking cool cameo by Domino Harvey. Oh, my God. Bounty hunter Domino Harvey yeah. shows up in the club. In Papa Midnight's club. By the way, Papa Midnight, another uh, character introduced in the first two issues of Hellblazer Original Sins, who plays a pivotal role in... Uh, in defeating that demon also the electric chair from Sing Sing is the chair that they use to bind to put they strap Gary Lester down into it and they draw the demon into him and bind the demon into Gary Lester but same electric chair from Sing Sing so the chair in this Mm -hmm. movie is taken straight from the first two issues of, of Constantine so is Papa Midnight so is this demon is he like Baba Legba in the comic, he's more voodoo priest, kind of, uh-huh. you know, top hat. He's really burly, like big burly, but he's he's a, a hoogan. So he's a, a basically a like hoodoo or voodoo Um Because they call him shaman. a witch doctor in he, this. He okay, basically so he's not is a, witch a god doctor. or a demigod. He's no, he's just a, a practitioner. very, very powerful, powerful. <clears throat> magical practitioner, yeah. Um, he's so powerful that he's actually you know, like he's declared himself neutral in this movie, right? Which is not part of the original mm-hmm. comics. He's just like a big player who doesn't have time for Constantine's shit, and Constantine has to win him over, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Midnight, the the movie version, amazing, perfect. That he's like they've just got him like. I love totally when they nailed. reveal his back room. That's like this. Indiana Jones treasure trove. Yes, it's like it's you expect him to like kick the Ark of the Covenant out of the way to get to the chair. (laughs) Ah, this old piece of junk. He's like, ah, God. Oh my God. Uh, Let's see. I don't want (laughs) to. I don't want to jump too far ahead because we don't get to that room until the second time he goes to Midnight's. Um, What did you think of Balthazar's finger licking good line? (sighs) That guy does demon. This actor is. Mm. Right, great. Here, I'll Perfect. do it. I'll do it for you. Thank you. Ah, it's the mm-hmm. chef kiss. That uh, it's she's just mm, magnifico. Monta <laughs> But his, he's he's big. 
but he's the the bad guy that you like to hate. Oh, but totally. But you also kind of just like a little bit. Yeah. Balthazar's fun. He's kind of yeah, he's kind of sassy and sh- like, but yeah. evil. Yeah, but very very evil. And he's he's big in the way that weird Christopher Walken is big. Like when he's talking to John about he has this line and they first meet and John like takes it goes to take a Bible out to like exercise him in Midnight's house. But he's like right in his face and he goes like mm, finger looking good. And you're like it's just like the biggest way you could do the line. And this actor It works. Dude, he just he's every he's perfect. He's perfect as this demon Balthazar. He, he just perfect. sticks it, dude. And he's got that, you said it last night, that like kind of like slimy, no hair out of place, blue blood look. Oh, very posh. He reminds me of Pat Bateman. Like he is like 100%. Patrick. hundred percent. Yeah. He's like the British demon version. Yeah. He's like the British demon version of Patrick Bateman. Like uh, John Constantine <laughs> is the American. American demon version. version. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good. Um, All right. So. We, yeah. Let's see. Let's talk about, let's talk about the cigarette smoke, in the glass with the spider. Yeah, dude. It's a it's a such a quiet little scene. He's such a jackass. Yeah. There's well. There's a there's a spider crawling across, uh, John Constantine's table in his living room or in his kitchen or dining room or that that beautiful room that you just want to whatever live that. In. Yes. Yeah. And he's drinking. Ardbeg scotch. Um, mm. Oh, mm, mm. What does John Constantine drink in the comics? Gin. Oh, yeah. He is gin. Gin neat. Although you know in the in the first two issues, he does drink uh, whiskey. Uh, scotch. He drinks. Mm-hmm. He does drink scotch in the original comic, but like canonically, when you look at the totality of Constantine, his prime drink is gin. It's not good though. It's not a good gin. It's like he drinks like um I think it's like Bombay Neat or Beef Eaters Neat. Or it might be Hendrix Neat. Anyway, uh, Neil Gaiman established not horrible. Neil not Gaiman like established his brand. Bottom rung. In all the other comics, he's just drinking gin. Basically mm-hmm. it's like gin and tonics, gin and soda, or just gin. But in the in that one Neil Gaiman Hellblazer issue, he specifies the exact kind and type of gin and his drink. I could I could run and get it really oh, quick. Oh, okay. Um, actually, since we're at an hour 33, let's take this opportunity. Uh, we're going to... Thank you so much for listening to part one <laughs> of our discussion of Constantine. When we come back, you'll find out exactly what... How is this a two-parter? Because <laughs> it's better than people think it is? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, well, the second part... And we were be, like, let's choose something chill. Well, we ended up talking a lot about, like, the occult and theology in yeah. this one. So, it's like hereditary. You know. We talked about hereditary for, like, an hour and talked about ritual magic for, like, two and a half hours. <laughs> so, um, all right. When we come back, we are going to talk about... Or you guys will know exactly what type of gin John Constantine drinks. <laughs> and we'll, uh, we'll get you out of here pretty quickly after that. Because once this turns into an action movie, it goes fast. This is all like setting up the world, but there is a point where John, once John assembles the, uh, the, oh my God, it's so ridiculous. The the cross, the barrel, the drum fed crucigun, crucigun, shot a fix (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Once he puts that together, we are pretty much out, you know, like it turns into the matrix for like 25 minutes. Um, you just have to, 
it's it's weird. It's like The Shining. As you talk your way through it, you're like, and then there's this background detail and that background detail, and here's an homage to the comics, and here's an homage to a whole subgenre of horror film, and here's a there's a lot in this movie, and I think that's I think we're finding out as we talk through it, which I love. A lot of people give you know forty six percent. It's stupid, but it's a two parter because it's not. You know, it is greater than its veneer. All right, so if you like what we do. You can head on over to patreon.com slash quillandfilm, Q-U-I-L-L-A-N-D-F-I-L-M. You can get shout-outs on the show. You can get full-length bonus episodes. Uh, Dieter Laser recently died, so one of our bonus episodes might be an interesting one. Um, there, Yeah, so Bird and I are just, uh, we're just kind of getting our feet under us, and we're going to start doing Patreon episodes this month. So head on over there, and you're going to get some awesome Patreon content. Um, we would like to thank the patrons who make this show possible. We would like to thank Brian Jackson, Connor Sweeney, Daniele Hartelli, David Rowney, Jeffrey Morgan, Casey Scheibe, Kelly and Mike Wagner, Kevin Ramirez, Sarah Hartley, Sister Sarah, Sister Sarah Hartley, <laughs> William Rockwood, and Carl Hartley. <laughs> thank you all so much. Uh, you can drop us a line at measuringflixpodcast at gmail.com. When we come back, it'll be more gin, more exorcisms, and uh, a quick paranormal action film. And I, we promise we won't keep you forever with it. But Constantine's really good. You guys should go check it out. We love you. See you soon. Bye.